We're talking about people who are physical specimens who are really super young people. Young people that age without a comorbidity have virtually zero risk from this. We have to, again, become rational here. The risk for people that age is less than seasonal influenza. What's wrong about America today all has to do with the institutions we have and we have to tear them down. And they're interested in complete political victory. They're not interested in compromise. They're not interested in dialectic exchange of views. It's a secular religion. It's a substitute for a religion. They view their political opponents and they, you know, as evil because we stand in the way of their progressive utopia that they're trying to reach. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Muckrake Podcast. I am Nick Hauselman, and as always, I'm joined by my host, co-host, Jared Yates Sexton. Uh, again, we have to thank you for what's going on over on Patreon because we're offering some really exclusive content there, and tons of people are signing up. And I just want to stress this right off the bat. Uh, it's a great way to interact with us on commenting on the posts because we can get back to you directly. Um, and it finally, because there isn't a way to do this with a normal podcast, we finally have a way to just discuss things and respond uh, right to you guys if you're a patron on Patreon. So, uh, again, visit patreon.com slash muckrakepodcast and uh, check out the different tiers and sign up because it's really great stuff. We did, a, we did Jaws last week, which was amazing. People loved it. And we'll continue to do more movies that are related to the social issues we're dealing with today and uh, all sorts of other things like Q&As uh, with you guys uh, where we can answer your questions directly and only get the answers if you are a Patriot, Patreon, Patreon, I guess we'll call you. So with that in mind, uh, let, I'm going to turn it over to Jared because he's coming in hot. He's, I think he's got some things to say, get th- some things off his chest. Uh, Jared, talk to me. What can I help you with? Hey, I'm so glad that you started off with something good because I'll be, I'll be honest. I'm, um, <laughs> I'm pissed off, Nick. I'm pissed off is what I am. And, and, and I'm just going gonna, gonna to warn everybody up front. I am coming in hot. Uh, if you have some kids in the car, you know, oh. maybe put some earmuffs on. Uh, I, 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 I had to travel this weekend. I, I, I went and I did this. Um, I can't get into the details of it, but I did a really cool project, like a, a talking head thing that I'm, I'm hoping people will get to see here pretty soon. So I'm pretty excited about that. But in order to do this thing, I had to, um, I had to drive. I had to, you know, drive across a few states. And, um, you know, like most people, I've, I've kept a pretty low, low profile during the pandemic and I was driving and um, I have to tell you, it was really disturbing. It was really gross driving through America and seeing all of the dumb bullshit. You know what I mean? Like the stuff that like we just sort of took for granted for a long time and we just sort of thought was our, our lives, like theme parks and, you know, just like dumb signs for dumb businesses and just just the straight vapidity, right? And meanwhile, so I, you know, I was trying to be careful and I was stopping at like gas stations and stuff and like I didn't want to go inside. Meanwhile, my fellow Americans, my fellow citizens are like putting themselves and their loved ones and the rest of society at risk to go into like terrible subway gas station restaurants, right? And eat just terrible subway sandwiches and and just sit around like eating the the worst food uh and going into the worst places there goes our subway sponsorship yeah subway can go to hell i'll I'll just say that subway can straight go to hell and so like i'm 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 driving around and i'm doing this and 
I, it, it just really, it doesn't just piss me off, Nick. It makes me sad that America, that this country that is supposedly this, the, the, the most powerful, most wonderful country in the world, is not only, I mean, what, what are we at? We're at 164? Right. We have to remember that's not the accurate number, right? When you that's, look not at the actual, that's, that's not the actual number. It, it's probably, probably 10% higher, something along those lines. Yeah, more, but yes. It's, probably I think it's closer more. to 200 total. So we, uh, we're in the middle of this terrible pandemic that uh, the President of the United States, who, by the way, held a press conference at his private golf club, where all of his drunken, two of them, his drunken, sunburned, idiot <laughs> club members <laughs> clapped at everything he said like, like a bunch of morons, like a bunch of drunk assholes. And as, as he just lied, just lied, and, and called the Democratic Party, not he not really And I'm like driving, you know, up the coast listening to this bullshit. And I'm listening to America just like break under its own weight. And then today, and, and this is this and, and by the way, like this isn't a sports podcast. My my, my wonderful co host here, Nick, who is a, a sports superstar, uh, <laughs> gets enough of his sports talk in in the rest of his life. This isn't a sports podcast. But meanwhile, today, on Monday, we start hearing that the, the big conferences in, in college athletics have come to the realization that they cannot play football. Like, it, because they're going, to, they're going to kill their athletes, who, by the way, don't get paid, right? These are, these are unpaid athletes. And meanwhile, Donald Trump, who, uh, you know, is just an absolute moron, uh, tweets out, play college football. Well, get your dumb ass out there and play college football, right? If you waddle your dumb ass out onto the field. Jim Jordan, America needs college football. No, you know what America needs? It needs an investigation on how you helped with sexual assault is what it needs, <laughs> all right? So I, I, I sit here, and, and I tweeted about this a little bit ago. How disgusting is it? How many Americans feel that possibly losing college football is a bigger tragedy than losing 160,000 Americans. That they feel like their inconvenience, not being able to go out and tailgate and, you know, spend hundreds of thousands of dollars on RVs and dumb portable grills and, and go out with their friends to Buffalo Wild Wings and choke on bones. Like, these people truly believe that they are the victims of a pandemic because they, their, their leisure is under attack. Jared, it pisses me off. You're sitting in your ivory-clad, institutionalized, oh. you know, tower of academia, academia, just looking oh. down your nose at these people, sneering at them at their buffalo wild wings. Wild wings? Time out. Whatever they're called. Wild wings. Time out. I, I would love to go to buffalo wild wings right now. I would love to go to a college football game. I love college sports. College basketball is one of my favorite sports in the entire world. I would love to go to Buffalo Wild Wings and get a big, giant, cold beer and just, as an American, drink that beer way too fast and eat way too many wings. I would love to do that. But do you know why I can't? Because of these dumbasses. <laughs> right. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. It's, it's, it's that we could have stopped this thing. We could have saved tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of lives, but our dumbasses couldn't get over this stuff. I, I, I'm just, I'm irate today. Well, what I find amazing is that we live on completely separate lives. I'm on completely opposite sides of the country. And yet, sure. as I mull over my thoughts in between podcasts and I'm trying to decide, well, what could we talk about, what we should talk about, it's exactly this, which is so interesting that you became, came in hot as well. 
because it was exactly what I was thinking of without even peeking at your, your Twitter timeline, uh, which is filled with all sorts of this, this discussion too. But um, I started to try and think, you know, as we always do with the, the historical context, and I was musing about right. the idea, have we ever as a country been in a situation where we truly cared about our fellow man and woman, where we fully were really willing to sacrifice? And I'm talking about like, can we go back to the 1800s? Because remember, the, the Spanish flu had a huge contingency of people who were anti-mask. The same exact people who are now you know, flooding the beaches and flooding wild wings and flooding all these places. So it's like, you can't, it's 100 years we've been this way and, and in this American experiment that you referenced. Um, I think, I don't know if we have to, when we have to go back to find it. Is there a slight pocket a couple months after 9-11 that we had that? And then we went right back to cutting everybody off on those roads with the way we drive and you know, all those kind of things. I don't know, what do you think? Well, I mean, okay, so like in the mythological 9-11 that existed, right? We all got in the streets and sang God bless America and waved flags and I don't know, we got all misty-eyed over George W. Bush standing at ground zero. But no, we were out, we were out harassing Muslim Americans. Mm -hmm. and, and not just Muslim Americans, people who maybe looked like Muslim Americans, right? People, people with darker skin, we were out harassing yeah, them. We, we, yeah. There were hate crimes. And, 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 and then it's like, oh, well, maybe around World War II. And it's like, yeah, we mobilized and we went out and fought a war. But, you know, we also, that's right, we threw like thousands of Asian Americans into a camp, you know, or multiple camps and killed them and took their things. And you look at this, this truth, which is that America just continues to make these mistakes. We do not learn, and, and by the way, that's part of the American privilege, right? We don't have to learn from our mistakes. And, and we look around now, and this is the thing that pisses me off the most. This country's failing, like it truly is. This country is failing as a state, and it doesn't have to. And I keep trying to tell people this. I understand that we're in the doldrums of summer. It is hot. We are suffering through the coronavirus unnecessarily. The president is just melting down in real time. I don't know if you got a chance to watch these press conferences. That dude's unwell. Yeah. Like, like the president of the United States is not a well human being. So I understand that it's like a really shitty time and it feels very, very dangerous. And also, by the way, we got to talk about this. We have a, a cabal of crooks around Trump who are trying to destroy the rule of law and create a theocratic authoritarianship. But it doesn't have to be like this. We can live in a better country. We can be better people. We can choose to be better. And we keep letting that mythology that you just brought up, that fake history, that fake idea of American exceptionalism, we keep letting that cut us off at the knees. And it keeps us from getting past the pandemic. It keeps us from uniting. It keeps us, and, and by the way, you want to get selfish? Keeps us from making better money, right? It keeps us from living longer lives. It keeps us from being healthier. And, and it pisses me off. We can do better than this. It's such, such a low bar to do better than this. Right. And so it's it's this need, like you mentioned, uh, I, I must be able to be a consumer. I think the, the root of this thing is consumerism. It's consumerism. Which is, yep. equates to freedom and capitalism, really. It's, but it's consumerism. You got mad at me the other, the other day on our podcast because I ended it with like this note, sort of the same idea. Like this is now what, that's 10, 15th generation of consumerism since we started, whatever it is. And it's like, what are we doing? Like, why, am I raising, I'm just raising my kids to be consumers. 
Is that really what we're all about now? And that it really is, uh, you know, an existential crisis for me, probably for a lot of people. It's, you know, my parents had, were, were children of immigrants. So their whole story is uh, they moved to, to this country from a, from a horrible conditions and you're going to have a better life than me. Well, you know, my parents have had that better life. What am I now supposed to do with that? And then now what are my kids supposed to do with that after having, you know, th that American dream had been kind of fulfilled? This is where we're at. And my story is the story of millions of people now across the, the, the country, not just my generation, but a little older and even younger. So, you know, what does it really mean when we're talking about this, this, this dedication to consumerism versus anything else? Well, so let's talk about these jumping off points, and let's let's start with World War One, and then we'll go to the post World War Two era, right? So, post World War One, Woodrow Wilson created this movement in the country to try and basically rebrand America, right, and make it a world power and the champion of democracy. And to do that, he basically created modern propaganda. He brought in a bunch of marketing people, and they just sold America as a product. So, by the end of the war. They had not only rebranded America on the, on the international stage, but these people were ready to go out and rebrand consumerism, right? And all of a sudden, everyone could go out and buy things. And the idea of the individual started to really uh, foment, right? That, that you and I can, can play a different character based on the clothes that we wear. And, we, and, and, and by the way, one of the things that, that we have to recognize, and I'm sure that you and I feel this way. We're a couple smart dudes. I assume that, like, you know, we see a commercial, and we're like, ah, commercials don't work on me. I'm an individual. <laughs> I'm a character. You're a character. All of our listeners are characters. And as we're going out into the world, the things that we wear, the things we do, the things that we project out, like on social media, what we say we like, what we say we enjoy, we're telling a story about ourselves, right? Which is a side effect of consumerism. Right. We have to we have to be able to work through that stuff and find who we actually are post World War Two. And I want to point out. So we we are the winners of two massive wars. Right. Well, the well, idea well, is after you win a war, you should be able to shape the world. Right. Yeah. You should be able to, like, make it better and come up with something truer and realer. They were like, ah, we got all these factories churning out warplanes. Let's send out gadgets. Let's send <laughs> out refrigerators and stoves and microwaves and all this bullshit. And so America forfeits all of its winnings and stakes in order to have a consumerist culture. People right now are continuing a pandemic to go to TGI Fridays. They're, they're saying, how dare you try and keep me from Fuddruckers? Well, I'm going to Long John Silver's. You deserve better. Like this life that you have, the way that it feels, the way that you're being exploited by your employer, if you have an employer anymore, Right. By the way, if you haven't been laid off and fired and, and thrown on the grist of this bullshit, like you you deserve better. We can have better lives. You have to stop accepting these scraps because they're not even like austerity is scraps. And that's why it feels so bad. It can feel better, but we have to reject it. Right. Well, it, it ties right into Jimmy Carter's speech about malaise, because when you identify it in an effort to just provide some reality to the situation, that is like saying death to America. And so kind of what yep. really hurt him politically for that, which is ridiculous. You know, the do, you wanna, what? do you want to do you want to tell listeners that that is going to be the hub around our feature length? multi-part audio documentary. Do sure. you want to go uh, ahead and yes. break that news? That's we're, an exclusive. Yes, on our Patreon. We're going to, uh, we're planning on doing a multi-part uh, mini documentary on the Malay speech that Jimmy Carter gave in 79, 79? 
shit. Right, which, by the way, has been shit on by every pundit as, like, one of the worst speeches in American history. And if you actually go and listen to it, it is profound. Yeah. It's a prophetic speech. So, yeah, that's going to be the subject, and it's going to go uh, from... Nick. It's going to be the hub. We're going to get Nixon in there, of course. We're going to get... Carter in there, Reagan, Bush, right into the thing. We want to create this feature-length audio documentary that explains, it's like a, an omnibus, right? Mm -hmm. That explains right. how we got to the place that we are, and, and that's one of the reasons why we've opened up the Patreon over at uh, patreon.com, Muckrake Podcast, is that malaise speech, yes. for sure. Every sentence he utters can take us into a direction that oh, can directly relates to today and in the past. But you know the downfall of America is, I, I think I've discovered, I think it's the laugh track. I wow. think the invention of the laugh track is yeah. the beginning of the downfall of America. You know what's funny is because when my my instant when you start talking about consumerism and all the evils of those things, and you start thinking about like the '80s and the dawn of like Reaganism and how the you know that that really took hold. Uh, you know, I, I think of the movie um, Time Bandits. And if you remember that movie, uh, the kid is sort of peeking in on his parents to see where they are, and they're watching the TV, and it's some horrible game show, and it's like, it's hell. It's hell would be stuck having to listen to a game show with a cheesy host and that laugh track going on and on in the background, and then people trying to win, you know, the, 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 the washing machines and the, and the microwaves and all those things that you mentioned. Uh, that is sort of, in, in some, you know, brilliant imagery that Terry Gilliam provided us sort of stands for all that stuff. I mean, I walk into the big box stores like uh, Costco and I look around and say, this is why Muslim extremists want to kill us. I really had that thought whenever I walk into those huge stock stores and you see millions upon millions of items you can buy at whatever you want at any time. That, that's how I feel. Well, actually, so it's it's funny you mentioned that. Like one of the uh, the founding ideologies of of the group that would eventually become Al Qaeda, even though that was sort of like a, a fake name of a fake threat that the Bush administration used. Like Antifa. But yeah, yeah, this <laughs> this funny. idea, the kernel of it, starts with people who were in America who saw America and they were like, "This is just senseless." You know what I mean? It's just, it's a gross consumerist culture. And, and and what you bring up here is interesting because, again, I was driving across the country today for, or uh, this weekend for this project. And I have satellite radio and I kind of love satellite radio. I kind of like being able to like drop in and find songs that I hadn't even thought about for forever. And I turned on like the 1990s station for a second. And, and, and have you listened to any music from the 90s lately? You know, my daughter somehow got into Spin Doctors by accident. I was just joking when mentioned this. There something. it is. Actually, it was a Spin Doctors song that that made me think about this. So I heard it. It sounds like it's being beamed in from a completely different reality. You know what I mean? Because it's like it's you know, like if you listen to something from the 1990s or if you watch something from the 1990s, it's so infected with Ida, and by the way, there's a part of it that's like Gen X malaise, which is like rolling of the eyes and being like, I hate this, right? Mm -hmm. But then there's another part that's so fancy free, the party will never end, this is a day-glow, Clinton-esque fantasy, everything's great, everything's always gonna be great, oh, this party will never stop. And you hear it, and you're in the middle of what definitely feels like the decline of the American empire, and you just want to send a message in a bottle that says, wake up, man. Like, this thing is going to come to a massive, 
crashing halt, right? And obviously it does. In like 2007, when the housing market crashes and we suddenly have to deal with all of our checks coming due all at once, and American hegemony absolutely falls apart and the empire starts crumbling under its own weight. We are in the middle of a project that has reached its logical, illogical conclusion. And here's the thing. When the levee starts breaking or when the bridge or the infrastructure starts falling apart, you have to tear down the bridge or the infrastructure and rebuild it. That's what we have to recognize is that this is a moment of crisis and crisis breeds opportunity. But if we keep trying to drive over that bridge, we're going to end up in the drink, man. And, and there's just there's no other way to look at it. Like this is this is a project that is failing and we have to hit the brakes and we have to figure out something different. Well, now, first things first, Friends was filmed from a live studio audience. So let's sure. not say the downfall of the 90s or, you know, they actually didn't have a laugh track. But uh, let's examine the notion of having to tear down that bridge. Oh, yes. Real fast. When's the last time you saw Friends? You know, I'm watching How I Met Your Mother right now, which is like basically Friends ten years later. Which is different, it, it, but it's, it's like there, it's like that generation's version of Friends, I suppose. But I have not watched I, Friends in a while. Do you know anybody right now who lives in New York and rents an apartment? No. Okay. Uh, to watch Friends now with these big, giant loft luxury apartments, which by the by the way now would cost multi-millions right i mean like right. the, 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 there's no way that the friends could afford the apartments that they live in and they live these sort of fancy free lives and yeah they're sort of like love triangles and maybe joey didn't get the part that he wanted you know or they gotta i i i, I was never a friend's person but if you if you watch that it also feels like it's from a completely different reality. We now have, I, I wanna say, I don't know if you saw this article, it's like 40% of Americans right now are facing possible eviction. Yeah. And, and, and that's not even New York, right? That's just around the country. And like we live at the moment where hypercapitalism, and we talk about this all the time, hypercapitalism isn't like trying to get your part of like a river, it's damming up the river. Right, And eventually you dam up the river so much that the river just doesn't flow anymore. And it backs up to the point where disaster is imminent. We're at a point where disaster is imminent. And, and, and something like a Friends or something like that 1990s culture shows that, yeah, the living seemed like it was really, really good, but the living was not permanent. Like right. we were always going to come to this end of the project. And listen, I talk to people now who are in their mid twenties, and I do feel really bad for them because their entire lives are shaped around either 9-11, the housing collapse, or now. And it's like, think about that. There's no notion of a time where we had, out of, I graduated college in 1994. I had the whole nineties in front of me and, we, and it was very prosperous. We felt like we were getting somewhere. There was peace across the world, basically. Um, and so it's, it's, it's going to have a long-term, just what we talk about how COVID is going to have a profound effect on these kids who are not getting the social interactions they would normally get and develop that way, right? By the way, look at it for sports, too. Like, you know, you're going to have basketball players who don't work out and work on their games for a year. Um, the, the effect of what that had on the people who are now in their mid-20s and, like, you know, maybe even late-20s and 30s is, is extremely profound because all they know is debt. You know, all they know is catastrophes and fam and famine and, and um, you know, uh, disease. It's really kind of an interesting time, which we won't know what the effects are going to be for 20, 30 years, but I feel like it's not going to be good. So I, it's so funny you bring that up I, I, because we, we kind of talk about American history and politics as if it's just sort of a black and white thing that happens. And then later on, something else happens and, you know, A, B, C, D or whatever. 
We don't talk about what you just brought up, which is the actual traumatic effect on Americans, right? right? So, like, um, just just a little bit of information on me. I come from, like, an extremely impoverished background, right? And not just impoverished, but also, like, a dysfunctional sort of a background. I think of myself as pretty well-adjusted. I think I've done okay. Mm-hmm. It wasn't until I got in my 30s that I started learning about things like survivor's guilt, or, you know, trauma from poverty, or the, the or the fact that there are like these physical effects of trauma that like affect your health and affect uh, everything from your ability to be successful, to carry out relationships, all this stuff. We have a population right now that is undergoing, um, I, I don't know about you, you're, you, you seem well. You strike me as you, you feel okay today. Today for me, there's an up and a down with the pandemic, right? Today was down for me, man. I felt brittle. I felt glass brittle today. I was I was not just pissed off, but I just felt like a, a small breeze would hit and I would just fall off the shelf and break like a glass menagerie. You know, okay. it was just that was it. And the point is, we're all going through that. And we're going through it because we have people in charge who aren't taking care of us the way that they need to take care of us. We are all being exposed to massive amounts of trauma that will affect us for the rest of our lives. Scientists tell us our lives will probably now be shorter, not just because of COVID, but because we're going through this thing. We'll probably all make less money. I assume all of our retirements have taken a hit in some way, shape, or form. I, I, you know, well, 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 that's not necessarily the case. You know, we could do a whole series of podcasts about how the market is completely manipulated. It doesn't follow reality. How IRAs are up. You know, it's crazy. So, so maybe, but eventually, it's going to go down and stay down. I have a feeling the way this is going. Oh, and it's all going to destroy us. And and that's the thing is like that disconnect between the higher up and and the elites and the powerful and the rest of us. And we have to suffer because of their bullshit. And this is what we've seen with the economy. Like the economy crashes all the time. Who takes who takes it? It's us. Right. We always are the ones who, who take a bath in it. And these other people get uh, bailed out and they continue on. They're totally fine, like Donald Trump with God knows how many bankruptcies and massive failures. They're fine. It's the rest of us that take a bath. And, and you're exactly right. There's like, there is a cumulative effect of that. So the other thing that you mentioned a little earlier about you know, the notion of how the levy is going to break, uh, the bridges are going to fall apart, and you just simply must tear that down and rebuild it. Well, if you think about that as an economic impact, those are like a lot of jobs and a long-term projects that would employ a lot of people and, in, and actually improve the economy. So we've been waiting for infrastructure week, right, for four years. It's the biggest joke of all time. And meanwhile, the president comes on in these, in these uh, uh, press conferences in the last couple of times, and he, he kind of comes out with this bullshit uh, um, executive orders that actually don't do anything. So you mentioned how many people are at risk of being evicted coming up in the next few months. Yep. And so he pretends like he did an executive order that's going to protect them when in fact it just sort of gives, it just sort of passes the buck down the line with the language he used. They're not, there's no real binding. This, these are memos. These are not executive orders. And it's, well, which by the way, yeah. Johnny Three Putt, who is about five or six Johnny Walkers deep in his afternoon, he's like, man, great, Mr. Bradman, I ain't my guy. And meanwhile, he's like, oh, I'm giving a payroll tax. Well, what's that effect, Nick? That affects Social Security. Yeah. It affects Social Security. And then he's like, well, Democrats don't want to help people. It's just, it, you're exactly right. Like, it's not real. But None that, of it's real. That's even worse because, remember, it's not a payroll tax cut. 
It's a deferral till the end of the year where you're going to have to pay anyway. But guess what? He then floats out there and says, well, if I get elected again, then maybe I'll make that tax cut permanent, which, by the way, again, will devastate Social Security and Medicaid. But uh, it sounds like, oh, we're going to help all you guys out only if you elect me. And again, this is not what he has control over the way the Constitution was written. And yet, the people that pride themselves on not wearing masks because they're not going to listen to people, I'm my own person, I have my own ideas, follow this fucker to the off the edge of the cliff, into the water, and back through into hell, and then back up on the cliff again. That's how far they follow this guy. And by the way, you're talking, and, and I want to make this clear, because we started out talking about American vapidity and shallowness, right? You're talking about the Trump supporters who are like the cultists, who are like in my hometown, right? Who, I don't know. I don't know. I but, think oh, I might be I talking talk about, about Republicans. Oh, I want to talk about the other group, the ones who are at the Bedminster Golf Club, yeah. right? Johnny Three Putt, or, you know, the, the guy over here. And here's the thing. I want to talk about these sycophants who are like leering during this entire press conference and they're cheering at everything Trump says because they're drunk and they hate their families and they hate their lives. These are middle managers at like a company that doesn't really help anybody, doesn't really build anything. A couple of them maybe own a construction company. They also hate their families. They're cheering for a president who is probably ensuring that either their kid will get COVID and have permanent lung damage or their niece will get it and die. And meanwhile, they're hanging out at their golf club because that's where they want to spend all of their time. They don't want to hang out with their family. They don't want to have any actual joy in life. And they are making, <laughs> God, maybe they cleared a million dollars one year. Maybe. You know what I mean? They're not making decisions. They're not, at, you know, they're not running a party. They're not like big wigs. They're middle managers. These are the guys who could barely get a job at a Cracker Barrel if somebody got upset about their reservation. You know what I'm talking about? And these are the people who are willing to put on boots and march out in the street for these people. And and you have, meanwhile, you have Trump, you have Barr, you have Pompeo, you have McConnell, all these people who want to basically set off an explosion to destroy the American empire and then sell the debris to the highest bidder or the middle bidder because none of this is about exceptionalism, right? And these people are outside with maybe a Lexus that they can't afford, Nick. Maybe they have a Lexus that they can't really afford, you know what I mean? And they have a McMansion that the, the payments come and do here pretty soon. And maybe they, have a, maybe they have a vacation home, who knows? These people whose lives, they, they're, they're so joyless. They have to go to these things. And again, they're like four or five Johnny Walkers in on this thing. And they're applauding like trained seals on a person who doesn't give a shit about them. Donald Trump wouldn't spit on these people. He would look at them and be like, you should take my courses over at Trump University. That's what he would do. He wouldn't, if they died, he wouldn't, he wouldn't spend a second mourning these people. And it's those middle managers that have propped up the Republican Party and driven them into Trumpism because they are white nationalists and supremacists. And they have led us into the abyss. I just want to put, I just want to put the guilt where it belongs. You know, I, that is all true. I, I think what concerns me more, by the way, you're, you're still hot. I thought, you know, I'd have a little calming influence. I'm hot. I, listen, I spent way too many hours in a car by myself <laughs> looking at it. You know what I mean? Just looking at it. <laughs> well, I think the people that scare me the most or frustrate me the most or anger me the most are the ones who can, <laughs> can like, pay a little bit of, 
of lip service to some like social issue or two like oh you know I don't mind if gay people get married or you know like maybe I want to drive a car that has a little bit better gas mileage you know like you know that kind of they'll throw a bone but like you know then they'll completely and utterly ignore the things like separation of children at the border or complete mismanagement of the COVID where people are dying you know and all in the name of oh look at all the judges he's getting and all the tax cuts that they were getting through the literal eradication of the rule of law yes <laughs> i mean like, literally the destruction and weaponization of the rule of law yeah sure go ahead that's fine give right. me my and, tax cut and again and it, it's just probably more of a consumerism thing that, that's their religion and that's their politics but those are the people that, you know, it's kind of like when Hamilton kept screaming in the, in the show about uh, to Aaron Burr, who doesn't stand for anything. And I kind of feel like you got to stand for something and you can't just have a, uh, a poo-poo platter or a, uh, you, can, you don't get to choose a la carte what you, what you like and what you don't like. And not in this era. You probably could have done that a long time ago. But I, don't, I just don't feel like you can stand idly by and, and just sort of not look at what they're doing of some of the atrocities that are going on and violations of, of the Constitution uh, in the name of like the couple things that you like that seem to make, you know, make more sense to you than, for instance, the Democrats. The fundamental problem we have, the Republicans have forgotten that the point of democracy is to represent the will of the people and the plurality of the will, the plurality of the people. So they don't care that most people in America want sensible gun laws, right? No. They don't care that most people want uh, laws protecting the environment. It's, no. You know what I mean? And that's really where we, they've, I think, lost their way probably at the root of this, is that they don't seem to, they, they're not governing uh, in the way democracy is supposed to be governed. And that's so frustrating to me. Nick, really fast, because I, the, our podcast is devoted to not just talking beyond the headlines, but giving historical nuance. Can you remind me which far-left liberal president it was who established the Environmental Protection Agency? Who was that pinko comic? Uh, it, it rhymes with uh, Renixon. Wait, Richard Milhouse Nixon created the EPA? That can't be true. Okay, it's true. Okay, but wait, so who's the guy that, that invented um, the thing that protects workers in the workplace, like in factories? That uh, what's that called? O OSHA. Who invented? Who 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 signed that into law? Mm. No, that had to have been some sort of communist agent who had taken over the presidency. Yeah, right. I mean, you know, a uh, guy who was probably just drinking it late at night and crying on people's shoulders too. But shit, Nixon did that too. No, there's no way that can't be right. It cannot be possibly true. That the Republican Party up until the 1980s cared about the welfare of, of human beings well in how, some ways how is it possible you know why Nixon had to resign right because he actually Wait, had did he get in trouble because he actually had Republicans and Democrats telling him he had to do it that's the last time and by the and I want to point out just to take what you just said which is the, all these things that they flushed down the toilet and, and I've been trying to explain this to people, and it's really hard because we've been trained to believe in left and right. We talk about this all the time, right? Oh, the left. Oh, the right. No, the American right has gone so far right that they've drugged the Overton window to the point where what we consider the left is actually the center, right? Liberals and Democrats are arguing that, that trans people deserve to live. They're arguing that people shouldn't be, you know, unnecessarily brutalized and murdered in the streets. These aren't issues. These are just common sense 
things. We should be talking about what we do with the economy and how we manage it. Those are the arguments we should be having, but instead we're having, we're having arguments about lunacy. And the people you just brought up, so like these middle managers, the guy who maybe owns a small construction company, the guy who is you know underwater for his third house, but he also has a Lexus, and you know he also has a gambling problem at the country club. <laughs> Do you know what? That guy gets screwed by the Republican Party too, because the Republican Party helps the giant corporate monoliths who will never let that guy grow his business into a challenger. He gets screwed as well. He actually gets pushed down, but you know what he does? He settles. He settles for what he has, which is what Americans keep getting told. And by the way, it's not a coincidence that we're having a crackdown in places like Portland or you know around the country with these shock troops here going in. They're not going in necessarily to suppress um, uprisings, right? It wasn't like Portland was going to take over the country. It wasn't like Antifa was going to march through the streets. They do it to crack skulls. So when you and I are like, this isn't right, the first thought we have is, do I want to end up bloody in the streets, right? Yeah. I should accept what I have. I should accept that pie. I was making fun of Fuddruckers and Subway and TGIF and all of these vapid American products. They want me to sit here and be like, well, at least I have Subway. Yeah. At least I can go to Fuddruckers. And that is supposed to be the pinnacle of human experience as opposed to working towards something real and human and lasting. Let me give you an example of what you just described. A woman buys a can of paint at a paint store in Utah. Uh, subsequently, there's a, uh, a protest against uh, some Utah police who killed uh, a, you know, a kid. Uh, and the paint is spilled. The woman is now being charged as a uh, terrorist, as a, sorry, as part of a gang, because she was more than one or two people in a crowd that broke a law, and uh, she's facing life in prison because she bought the paint. Now, if you don't think that that's in the more examples of them trying to, oh, and by the way, they were actually, um, they were protesting a, the attorney general who is now suggesting that as the term of her, uh, her punishment. Uh, it's insane. Um, but here's the other thing is, this notion of settling that you said, is sort of what's happened in our in the way that we want to punish the wrongdoings of politicians since Watergate. And as I was doing some research this uh, before we started the pod, you know, what's the biggest frustration for me, I think, in the 80s was that Iran-Contra was not prosecuted properly. The, and I, you can argue that because nobody, you know, there was a lot of pardons at the end, and we'll get to that, who, how that all happened in a second, but you can argue that because that didn't get prosecuted properly, it sort of invites all the corruption that we're dealing with now. I think it's a pretty decent argument. So what you realize when you study the older articles from back then and why they didn't do it, there was a little bit of a political will that said, you know what, we already dealt with Watergate. We don't want to get dragged back into another one of these things. Reagan, he seems like a nice guy, so let's not like drag him back into all this stuff. He hands out jelly beans. Yeah. He hands out jelly beans to people. Right. I mean, yeah, his brain is mush, but he hands out jelly beans, Nick. And by the way, we know his brain is mush science, you know, medically. They was, we diagnosed it was earlier than we thought. So when he, with a straight face, tells us on, on national television that what he believed was true, you, you can fill it in exactly what he said, but basically it was like, I, I know when that I what told, I said when I told wasn't you, true. I believed it was true. But I still believe yeah. it's true. Like, he was just an adult. He's worse than Trump at that point. So that, I'm, now it's my turn to be hot because 
because of the, the failures of that. And by the way, you can argue that we failed to prosecute Nixon when we did because he got pardoned. So it just encourages this kind of stuff. And if you continue to follow along the lines of like how this continues to grow, just like consumerism continues to morph and meld into other things after generation upon generation, so does the corruption in politics. And this is where we are. And the reason why we're here, part of it is because, um, because of, the, um, of William Barr. What the fuck? So my daughter's been ringing my phone knowing that I'm recording a podcast. And then still, uh, what is she saying? Uh, let me go open the door for her. Hang on. I'll, okay, I'll keep this going. Okay. What a, I'm what a That's cute, actually. That's really cute. Being at the beach is just such a terrible thing. <laughs> they can't, you know, we can't stay at the beach for too long. Anyway, we are lucky. We live literally where our house is like half a block from the beach. It's amazing. Okay. Are we okay. still here? Yeah. Okay. So, trying to think for you to stop. So I, I stopped at bar. I was about to get to bar. Yeah, 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 yeah. In uh, Iran Contra. So you you can cut me cut into that at you know before right before that okay, point. Okay. Yeah, and then I'll do that, and you can bring it around. Okay. But that's the point, is with Nixon particularly and the fact that he wasn't prosecuted, he becomes the bar, right? It ends up in a thing where it's like, well, the president can be corrupt as long as he doesn't reach Nixon levels. Right. And all then all politicians of a sudden Trump lie. comes along with a pole vault and he's like, well, I guess we're going here. And it's just going to keep going and going and going because it's, it's open season. It's obvious that you can get away with any crime that you can get away with as president. That is the, that is the precedent that we've seen in modern history. Right. And the reason why they've been able to do that is because it's the same freaking guy who's doing it. William Barr, uh, first off, it was part of the Iran-Contra and helped them get off and then recommended the pardons that, that wiped that whole thing clean. And it's, it's fascinating because when you hear him describe what issues he had with uh, that case, it sounds exactly like what he says now. Wait, he but says, Nick. Yeah? But, but, but Nick, Jesus. Jesus what? That 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 is that is Bill Barr's only actual concern is the carrying out of a theocratic regime. He doesn't care what laws get broken because if they're broken in the name of God, then they should be broken. Tell me if this sounds familiar. This is from 1992. Quote: People in the Iran Iran Contra affair have been treated very unfairly. Mm, Does this sound familiar? So unfairly. To you? Uh, so unfairly. People. People in this Iran-Contra matter have been prosecuted for the kind of conduct that would not have been considered criminal or prosecutable by the Justice Department, mm. and it probably means in the past. So what he's trying to say is, 
wh where, who are these people that are actually trying to enforce the Constitution? Whereas for all these years, we've gotten away with it. Look how Nixon was able to get away with it and then get to get his pardon that way. Uh, that, that was basically what he's arguing and is what he's arguing now is that it's not that it's not a crime, it's just that no one would have bothered to prosecute these things in the past. And that is what becomes so cynical and so horrible because you add to that and the imperial presidency, which is basically what he's describing, to the fact that he's some sort of Judeo-Christian warrior zealot, um, th that's what makes it frightening to me. And I'm, I'm still not even sure why it's completely frightening, which is why I'm glad that we were talk I'm talking to you because you're going to help me coalesce this into some vapor of something. Well yeah, because he's he's calling for a return to the idea of consensus, and I and and what people need to understand is that make America great again is not just a fantasy, right? But it's a weaponized fantasy. It's the idea that there was a point in America where everybody just sort of agreed and we were all on the same team. Going back to what you were talking about, right? And everybody thinks about that being the 1950s. Well, I'll tell you what: most white people were on the same team. Democrats and Republicans pretty much agreed on everything because everyone was making money left and right and they were very, very powerful. Do you know who wasn't necessarily on the same team? People of color, women, LGBTQ Americans, people who didn't conform within that Judeo-Christian white lifestyle and pursuit of power. They want to get back to that. And what Bill Barr keeps saying when he says, oh, it's a secular religion and they're trying to find power or destabilize the system, they're trying to suppress anyone who doesn't agree with the white patriarchal, white identity Christian system of power. Make America Great Again is a call to return America to a place where people are afraid to speak up and they're afraid to be different. And that's exactly what he's talking about. Is If you speak out against Trump right now and you speak out against white patriarchal power, that makes you a terrorist. And by the way, I, I assume you remember this. That took place post 9-11 as well. When all of a sudden it was like, if you criticized Bush, if you criticized the government, if you criticized America, you were a traitor. Maybe you were a terrorist. Maybe the FBI and the Patriot Act meant that they should investigate you and your civil liberties. They were negotiable. Right. right? That is malleable law, and that's what leads to fascism. Or, or if you question whether we should go into Iraq based on the 9-11, uh, you're not a patriot. Wait, yes. wait, wait. You ain't into going to Iraq, Nick? Yeah, right. Well, forget Afghanistan. We don't have to finish there, do we? No, I've, I mean, by the way, just to bring this thing full circle, because, uh, you know, I love talking about this. The reason we're in this situation is because these people orchestrated illegal wars that used all of our resources and all of our power, all of our political capital, and they were wrong. They weren't just wrong. They were spectacularly and tragically wrong. They used up everything that could have led to a better world, and they used it up for bullshit. And now these people are like, oh, why are you complaining? Take what you get. Eat your slop. Take your scraps. The world can't be better. Fight over this. And it's That's also the, the lack of punishment for being part of a, uh, such a corrupt administration. So, for instance, the Nixon administration had guys like Dick Cheney and Donald Rumsfeld, and they get to come back, the corpses of their zombie versions come back, and then create more atrocities, and it's exactly what's going to happen now uh, if they don't properly punish Trump. And every single person, like McConnell, who's enabled him, and Barr needs to be disbarred and never be, I mean, he's already too old anyway to probably practice law much. But uh, that is what's scary. Now, again, the, the Attorney General of the United States gets to decide what they want to emphasize as far as prosecuting crimes. 
So if he, he starts to re reference things like nuclear family, like I've heard him say that recently. So, you know, if you don't think that's a little signal to like maybe outlaw gay marriage, you know, across the country, like that's the kind of thing where they would go back and, 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 and start rewriting uh, the laws and getting rid of these things, especially if Trump won a second term. Now, would Trump give a crap? He's probably got a lots of friends who are gay. Oh, he doesn't married. care. Right. He doesn't care. And he would yeah, not he give a crap. Care. He'd just be like, oh, don't worry. It won't happen yeah, to you. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, fine. Do it. Yeah. And so but that this is where we're going towards um, and why I think the next, you know, 80 days or whatever we have until the election are so fraught with um, every kind of anxiety you can imagine is because the notion of him being able to win. And also we haven't even mentioned the fact that what they're going to do with the post office to eliminate votes from getting to the vote boxes. I mean, they're now trying to pass laws where you can only have one drop off ballot, you know, kiosk per county where you might have a million people in a county in Pennsylvania and they, um, they're not going to, um, they're not going to let you know, have more than one of those things to vote. Can you, I, I can't even begin to imagine uh, what that, how that's going to affect things. But the, the bottom line on that one is that what it means is, is that they're simply overtly trying to suppress the vote. And I don't think it's going to, you, you can't show these things to, to Trump supporters and convince them that that's what's happening, but it, it, which is another whole frustrating conversation we can have. But that's what's going on, and they don't have to even hide it anymore. And, that's, and it's like, where are we? And is there, is there the hope that we can overwhelm the system and uh, there's no way they can affect the, uh, the actual election? So what you just brought up, and, and we have to connect these things because it's, it's essential, right? We talk about this all the time on the podcast. There are different games going on all at once. There's no silver bullet explanation for all of this stuff. It's way more complicated than that. Mm -hmm. Trump's doing his thing. Trump wants to just make corruption the rule of, of America, right? He wants to turn America into a one-stop shop of corruption and profit and power. That's what he's into. Meanwhile, people like Bill Barr are interested in this theocratic authoritarian state. What you just said is exactly right. It's not even, even an exaggeration. People say, oh, we're talking about like the handmade stuff. Yeah, yeah, that's exactly what we're talking about, but without sort of like that old sort of homespun type stuff. Because here's what you need to understand. All of this power works on different levels. This bullshit of like Fuddruckers and TGIS, the things that I'm talking about, like the dumb American spectacle stuff, right? They want to give that to us while they're living wonderful lives of wealth and power, right? All they're interested in is that the rule of law and politics runs through the white identity Christian idea of power. Right? That means no gay marriage. That means that women don't have rights. Or maybe they have the veneer of rights, but they don't have real rights. Right? right. Because they're going to make about, enough money to, to have real rights. Right. Right. They, they can, maybe some of them can have jobs, particularly the middle class. And, and actually, it would probably be working class, lower class women, and women of color. Those would be the ones who have jobs because they would be servers. Right? But the middle class, they would buy off a lot of white women by saying, oh, here's your life of privilege. You also get privilege. Right? And meanwhile, you have like this extra level of, of all these aristocratic assholes who just like you know, they basically are Scrooge McDuck diving in their, their vaults of, of gold coins. And what they do, they'll let us have all the slop. They'll make us settle for everything. And they'll, they'll roll back gay marriage. They'll roll back abortion, which they don't care about any of this stuff. 
Right. They don't actually care about whether or not people get married. They're not actually, they, you know, some of them will say, well, Christ will never come back if they can't. They care about control. The Christian religion in this way for people like Bill Barr has been perverted into a cudgel for control. So that's what he wants. And that's what's at stake. Because if it was just Donald Trump, they wouldn't give a shit about the 2020 election. If, if it was just some sort of, you know, bullshit reality TV president who wasn't, who, you know, they know he's not well, they wouldn't care about that. This is about finishing the project. This is about realizing that you can raise up a faux populistic, white nationalistic, fascistic movement in order to have all the power. It's all the chips into the table. So absolutely, they're going to try and steal the election. Trump will do it to try and avoid prosecution and humiliation. People like Barr will do it because it's their life's work. They have, It's not even just Trump. They've, been, they've done this with W. Bush. They did this with H.W. Bush. They did this with Reagan. They've been doing this since the 1970s. This is what they want to do. And real fast, just to give people something if they want to look up on this stuff, I posted a thread about this. You need to get familiar with a guy named Francis Schaeffer. Francis Schaeffer, who wrote a book called How Then Should We Live, it's all this uh, idea that if we don't have a Christian theocracy, society will fall apart. I don't know. You'll have uprisings in places like Portland and BLM, BLM protest, and you have to suppress them and install theocratic rule, which is what people like Barr truly, honestly believe in. And by the way, that same ideology applies to like Obamacare is going to just destroy yep. the country. You know what I mean? These the, uh, gay marriage is going to dis literally, and they think it, the country will simply will, will come back in a few years, and the buildings will all be like falling over, like in um, oh, what was that Spielberg movie with uh, Jude Law and the and the kid is a robot? Uh, you know that kind of thing. There's AI, half, AI, yeah, half AI. New, half of New York's yeah. underwater, and it's completely falling apart. That's what the, that literally is like the image I think that they have. And meanwhile. You know, we're talking about things like Obamacare that actually are now under really under uh, attack, uh, and and they don't want to actually help people, uh, you know, and to not die. It's uh, it really is galling, uh, and it's really that's why this election is so important because you're right. They will be able to do a lot more to get they'll be able to get a lot closer to the end game they want uh, if they get four more years. And, I, and it is complicated because you're right. Trump's got um, his reasons for wanting to win are completely different than what McConnell's would be or Graham's or uh, or Barr. Um, but that is what makes me so frustrated with guys like Barr is that um, they, they have the ability to, to, to turn these things into, you know, what would happen if they if he gets another term? What could Barr then start doing? You, you'll start to see the things you're talking about that would start leading on the, on the path, I would believe, towards uh, you know what the handmaid's, handmaid's sale is like. Uh, it's scary. And here is the thing, and I want to end it on a note of hope. You need to hear this because people have told you whether or not it's, it's pundits or anchors or think piece authors or politicians. They'll talk about hope. They'll talk about coming together, you know, building a better America or doing whatever. I want our listeners to hear this. And, and, and I, I want you to hear this. And, and, you know, this project we've been doing with the Muckrake podcast, I've had so many good conversations with our listeners. And, and I believe that they are just fundamentally good, loving people. It's really shocking how, how uplifting they are. I want them to hear this. You deserve better. You do not deserve a world like this that is designed from the top down to exploit you and the people you love. You do not have to embrace and clutch onto with fear what little you have. 
This can be a better country. You can live a better, more fulfilling human life. It's within our grasp, but the first thing that we have to do is we have to understand that we deserve better. And after you deserve it, get pissed off. We should be pissed off. This is a thing to be angry about. They've done you wrong and they've done the people you love wrong. So get pissed off, get educated, and then get organized. And when we get organized, these people, and by the way, Barr and Trump and McConnell and all of these assholes, the only way they win is if we don't come together. Right. They're very good at making sure that we don't come together. That is their entire project. They want to convince you not to vote. They want to convince you that you don't have power and that you should never get with another person because you're in competition with that person, right? You and that person are fighting over scraps. So, and and maybe they're you know they're of a different gender than you. Maybe they're of a different faith system. Maybe they're of a different color than you. You can never trust each other because you're in competition. And so you should vote for us. We will at least give you scraps. Right. You deserve better. I promise you. But the, and then okay, we had to throw on top of that really quickly. You know the notion of like Russia being involved in this election, and then the false equivalency sure. of oh well, China also wants to be involved just because they said publicly that they might not, they might prefer Biden, or Iran is also involved, but because they said publicly versus what's going on with Russia behind the scenes and manipulating, uh, and then you have someone like Barr who won't even say how that it's inappropriate for uh, candidates to accept foreign inter interference in an election. So it's it, a lot of cards are being stacked on, on both sides, and uh, it's a, it's it's just crucial. And so it, whatever motivates you to do to make it happen and get other people to see this, uh, you know, if it's hate or if it's worry, anxiety, uh, or love of the country that you want it to be, whatever that is, fill that in and make it work. Listen, I I'm I'm so glad that you said it that way, and and I, I just want to put this out there because I've been thinking about this a lot. I have a lot of people who, you know, I, I have these like weekly talks where I drink bourbon on Sunday nights at 8 p.m. and people are like, well, what do we do? What do we do? And I think the closer that we get to this election and the more that it's apparent that Trump is more than willing to steal this election and everyone around him is more than willing to steal this election, we need to pledge that if it's not a free and fair election that there will be mass action. We have to. That's what, that's what the truth is. And that doesn't mean that if Trump wins, it's not fair. Like, we cannot be like the Republicans, right? Which is, if he, if, if our guy loses, it's not a free and fair election. We need to pledge that if it's not a free and fair election, that there will be mass action. Because we'll never get away from this if we don't. We just won't, Nick. If you watch democracy in any shape and form, demo democratic representative government, if it gets wiped off, we're done. That's it. So people need to be ready for that. I keep telling them. You need to vote early on election day. That way you can be ready to be in the streets if need be. It is an absolutely essential thing. And, and we need to start working towards that. And we need to start preparing for that. All right. So on, on that note, I, I just want to say as a note of hope, again, you deserve better. And, and I, I've got to know you more. And Nick has gotten to know you more. We know that you deserve better. We thank you so much for continuing to support this podcast. Um, again, the Patreon thing has been so unbelievable and affirming and, and just um, it's really energized me and it's made me believe more and more in this community that we're building if you're interested in that go over to patreon.com slash muckrake podcast 
We had our first uh, bonus episode where we talked about Jaws and Watergate and hypercapitalism and the corrosive effects. I thought it was pretty good. I think people enjoyed it as well. We're going to be doing a Q&A here pretty soon. We're going to have some more exclusive stuff. stuff. So if you want to be a part of this, go on over to patreon.com slash podcast. In the meantime, we really need people to keep liking, subscribing, commenting, and tell people. Tell people we're having conversations you're not hearing another podcast. It's built up an audience already. It's built up a lot of momentum. Keep doing it. In the meantime, if you need us, Nick is over at Can You Hear Me SMH. You can find me at JY Sexton. Till next time, everyone, stay safe.